if there's a takeaway for me, it's learning how to truly collaborate and and um, and listen. And that will be the strength of the organization moving forward. This is Voices of Public Health, the JSI podcast. Welcome and thank you for joining us. I'm Tony McGuire. I'm a senior consultant here at John Snow Inc., also known as JSI. I spend most of my days working with community health centers and behavioral health integration, but in January, February, March, that all began to take a very different look from our public health perspective. I'm here today with my good friend, John Silva, president and chief executive officer of the Greater Lawrence Family Health Center in Lawrence, Massachusetts. And John and I will be having a conversation about what health centers are like these days, what it's like particularly in the impact of COVID-19 on our communities, particularly those already underserved, um, and where health centers are going with both behavioral health integration um, and where they're going with their strategic planning initiatives. So John, welcome. I'm glad to have you here, my friend. Thank you. It's always good to spend time with you, Tony McGuire. Let's talk a little bit about Lawrence and the patients you serve and the population of Lawrence and the fact that and you have, in fact, been in a hot spot in Massachusetts relative to COVID. This has definitely been a hot spot uh, related to the COVID virus. Um, quick introduction. Um, I've been in health centers for about 40 years, stumbled on them uh, back when I first got out of college. I love health centers. I love community-based health care. I love the fact that um, the community controls and basically oversees uh, their own primary care. I've been in a number of health centers in a number of different parts of the country over my years. Um, I've been a, a receiver for troubled health systems periodically, past president of the National Association of Community Health Centers. And in terms of our health center and in terms of our organization and what's happened to us during this pandemic crisis, it's not, I'm sure, un uncommon or um, a surprise to any of our listeners that uh, the pandemic turned us on our ear as an organization. Lawrence is one of the um, most affected, impacted communities because it's a largely immigrant and in immigrant and poor communities. It's made up of large three tenement houses, families close together, uh, health indices and outcomes are already poor, although uh, the health center's done a nice job uh, in improving that. There is no way in hindsight to, to prepare for anything like this. Uh, like most health centers, um, we had a strategic plan. Um, it's an awesome strategic plan, carefully chronicles uh, what we're gonna be doing over the next two and a half years. Our strategic plan is out the window, as is everybody else's. Our plan has been survival from day to day and from week to week. We've transitioned our plan into two-a-day um, commit center meetings. We've converted it into um, immediate response uh, in terms of transitioning our care model, uh, in terms of protecting our staff related to trying to keep access to some type of health care for our patients uh, as we distance, as we um, uh, telehealth as we do a number of things that everybody has been doing. So our strategic plan is now our our operational plan. And I will say as a, as, as a health center, the thing that helped us the most was our emergency um, preparation or response planning. And you know, one of my strong recommendations is take that 
all of that pain in the butt stuff in terms of preparing for emergencies and command centers and communication um, systems and all of that, take that seriously because we relied on that immediately and it worked and it worked extraordinarily well. So we were, we were basically able to transition um, from about 6,000 face-to-face patient visits in a week to last count was 5,900 telehealth uh, visits in a week. And we were able to do that over two or three days at the beginning. We were wired for telehealth. Uh, we've been, we're closer now as a, a health center staff and as an organization than we've ever been. Um, because we meet twice a day, beginning and end of every day, and uh, plan, uh, react, be flexible, listen, uh, and learn. I would say our clinical staff, our operations staff, our overall uh, health center staff is as, as close, as collaborative, as on target, working together as any place I've ever been. So, John, you adapted and made some significant systematic changes pretty early on as part of your emergency response, but let's take a step back from the immediate clinical delivery system in an emergency, and let's talk about how do you make those rapid fire decisions within a board governance structure? What did you do to communicate with your board? Governance has been, it was an issue that we had to try to um, address while we were running around with our hair on fire, trying to make sense of all of this. And it worked out. What we did with governance, uh, what I did was start sending in every week, uh, every Friday um, update, especially when things were crazy and uh, the sky was falling, and continued that up until uh, this past Friday. And they were two or three long page page um, emails that I'd send to every member of my board, literally letting them know exactly, exactly what's what was going on, exactly what we were facing, exactly what decisions we were making, uh, exactly... Um, what our priorities were. And, and then through our virtual board process over the last two months, it's not so much educating and bringing your board up to speed on what's been going on. It's a, it's a discussion about where do we go next? What have we done well? How did you guys respond to that, uh, that issue, expanded testing, uh, contact tracing? It's, it's, like, it's like a true partnership. Thanks, John. Um, You know, it's really interesting. Some of the things you say are so on point. Um, Every organization needs a strategy. We've all known that for a long time because that's how the whole team gets bought into the strategy. And the really curious part about today and where we sit today is we've had to react. We've had to really jump in there with our strategic, not just our strategic planning hats on, but with how you deal in an emergency in in the face of a strategic plan. So let's talk a little bit about your organization and some thought, and I know that we're in the middle of a crisis, so sometimes this is pie in the sky thinking, but uh, moving beyond the reaction of the cr- to the re- to the crisis, and your governance now, as you as you said, is very much um, on point and bought in some of the things that you're going to have to do moving forward. But let's talk about some other pieces of the strategic plan, if you will. There's lots of pieces of that pie. So things like finance, workforce, IT, and clinical. So let's start with finance. Clearly. In the financial world, there are grants rolling in right now. What impact does that have on the health center? Are they enough? Sustainability, uh, interoperability with systems. Um, Speak to us a little bit about some of those challenges, both in COVID and coming out of COVID with what your strategy might be. uh, Sure. Our finance approach now and moving forward um, has changed 
dramatically over the last uh, 10 months. Um, we're all about cash now and preserving cash and also preserving financial viability. Uh, the influx of state and uh, federal dollars, as well as uh, some private and community dollars, has allowed us to take a breath and develop some coherence in our financial activities moving forward. Those dollars allowed us to not just lay off people or furlough people um, as, a, as a, a knee-jerk reaction, but the federal dollars and the other dollars allowed us to take stock kind of a uh, focused way uh, in terms of not only our finances currently, um, but it gave us time to see how much the reimbursement was going to be for telehealth visits, both telephone and, and virtual. We were able not to have to lay off anybody or furlough anybody simply because of the transition and the cash flow um, that we had achieved. We're being very careful, and I know everybody else uh, that, that's listening is to, um, to keep track of each of the sources of funding, because one of our worries is that when all this is done and we have an audit by somebody, we're going to find out that this federal pot or this state piece of money was redundant to what we had already been funded for, or we kind of build for two different things inadvertently. So um, we've adopted a very painstaking budgeting and rebudgeting process so that there will be no surprises at the end. In terms of preparation moving forward, um, right now it looks like this health center is, um, is, is operating very well financially. We're preserving as much as possible because our worry and our planning as we transition out of this is, again, how much of telehealth will be paid, um, will continue to be um, billable, uh, which is huge because if there's any major change in that, uh, we're in big trouble. Uh, it's been that. It's been um, also understanding that staffing is going to be completely different. We're going to be maintaining staff, but how much staff long-term will, will we be needing? Because we know the system is going to become a hybrid of telehealth and face-to-face -face, uh, activities. We had to close um, three of our health centers and uh, focus uh, everything uh, at two uh, as we developed our, our telehealth. And now we're going to be talking about reopening them, but what does it look like when we reopen? Should we reopen? Is the, are the expenses appropriate given the new um, paradigm? Are our employees going to want to come back to work in an environment that's still kind of scary in, in terms of health? So, I, you know, we've been conservative, but we've been um, forward thinking. Uh, so, um, how strong we'll be is so much of that is outside of our control, but it's, um, it's, we, didn't, we didn't react and panic, um, and we've been very methodical moving forward, and transition now is all that we're focused on. Thank you so much, John. Um, you know, this is a nice segue into the workforce, actually, because people returning to work is a really challenging idea. We're returning to a building that they maybe don't understand why it was closed in the first place, right? So how do you support staff through this? And be, because this has been hard, right? You've, you've certainly uh, had to booster your, bolster your staff up. Um, interesting, I think that some of the silos that we've always experienced before between clinical and admin and, and financial and, and always trying as a leader to get those to work together, um, have, those silos in many ways have been broken down because we are all in this together as we've heard that phrase used so many times during this um, pandemic. But how do you support the staff through this and beyond? How do you continue with appreciation and morale? And, and mostly, how do you really convince the staff that there is a new way of delivering care in the future? Um, that is probably the area uh, be, 
besides um, actual um, uh, clinical service delivery and the lack of PPE. That is the area that we've been focusing the most on. Um, one, uh, one we, um, we prioritized staff from the very beginning. We communicated with staff constantly. Uh, we met with the staff, all staff, um, every Friday uh, virtually. We did not shield or uh, hold back any information from staff. So our first couple of positive staff members caused some ripples back in March. We were very clear, very clear about what we were doing, who was going to be quarantined, but we used that as an opportunity to teach staff related to quarantining, social distancing, but we didn't want people to, our staff to think that they're not telling us how many of us are sick. Um, so we tell we tell um, our staff every week how many were quarantined, how many are no, no longer quarantined. We've been blessed because we've only had 21 positives out of about 700 staff members. Honesty, even about finances with staff. We let staff know at the, at the very beginning that things were uncertain, that we weren't sure what we were going to be able to do moving forward, um, but assured them that they would be a priority. And our, our priority organizationally was to keep as many jobs as we possibly could, and we did. The last part of, um, of, of our staff uh, strategy, and that's the one that we're working on right now, is we have, uh, we've begun the process of identifying those staff that are, because of health, their own health issues, are, are not gonna wanna come back to work, that we really don't want them to come back to work, some of our older staff and some, some folks with respiratory illnesses, et cetera, et cetera. And so we've been working out telehealth and other jobs uh, for them. So we've been talking very clearly about social distancing, mask wearing constantly, um, constant education. And we're beginning to break that down a little, but we know that our phase in with staff rejoining uh, physically sites is, is we're gonna have to be sensitive and we're going to have to be aware of those concerns. And at every turn, we have to allay those concerns, not by talking, but by showing that, in fact, uh, we have taken that, that consideration or that fear you know, as a, an important part of our decision. Thank you, and such an important point. Um, there are a few unsung heroes among the health center staff people. Um, I, what comes to mind for me in particular are the staff who all work in IT um, and the staff who all work in facilities. You talked about cleaning the buildings. You talked about all this telehealth. Telehealth didn't get up and running by itself. There was a whole team of people behind you, I'm sure, um, working on the technology that allowed it to happen. How do you see those areas, both facilities and, and IT, changing in the, in the new world paradigm that we're about to enter? Great, great, great point, great question. IT and especially uh, maintenance and facility, they have risen, when you say heroes, you're absolutely right, but they have risen in the eyes of all employees in terms of their importance. And that is one of the things, raising the awareness and watching these folks perform miracles every day. Moving forward, so you'll know, nothing related to our transition planning is being contemplated or being uh, proposed that doesn't answer IT, IT staff, IT transitioning, and facility support and, facil and facility capability. They're both one of our two key checkoffs in terms of any um, change, any transition, any reopening for anything. And that's an amazing, amazing change. So I, I hope that answered your question, but it's been real eye-opening, not only for me, but for the entire organization.
That's great. Um, and, and they should get their due because they have done a really a lot of work in all health centers um, in critical time. Um, and let's talk a little bit about just specifically the clinical for the clinical care force, right? They have really changed the face of primary care in just a matter of weeks. Something that I think we all envisioned seeing happening three, four, five years ago, and we've struggled toward getting to this telehealth place. But how does how does your clinical staff envision healthcare of the future right now? Uh, now, as we uh, work on our our transition plan moving forward, we realize uh, clinical staff are have been recommending and participating in this whole process and are visioning, uh, and I agree with them, a hybrid of telehealth and face-to-face. They're also visioning that you may have a clinician who works two days a week at a health center and works three days a week on telehealth. We're looking even at at changing or adapting uh, the open uh, scheduling concept uh, to include a, a, a minimum amount of face-to-face patient visits in every session. And I, you know, the numbers that we're kicking around are no more than six in a, in a four-hour session and filling in the rest with telehealth visits because we believe the demand, the clinicians believe the demand, the phone-in, the convenience of telehealth um, will continue. And it's not abating now, even though the the, the infection uh, amount is has been abating. I think the best way that, uh, that I can answer that question is that clinicians are talking flexibility and how best to not only reach that this patient population, but how to maximize clinician engagement and clinician satisfaction by not overwhelming anybody e- either with 100% telehealth, because a lot of you, again, listening will know that I've got clinicians now that are going crazy because they've got to do eight straight hours of um, telehealth, which sounds really easy, um, and it's really difficult. So we don't burn them out or or force them to assume a role that is not going to be a fit for them. And I think given the opportunity that we all have in terms of transitioning, we're able to reimagine with our clinicians what makes the most sense both for them, for support staff, but also for our community and our patients. Thanks, John. Um, An interesting word you used. You said transition plan. Um, I think that it's really helpful for all health centers um, to be thinking not just of what their strategic plan was, how do you revolve it, but to have this transition plan from an emergency preparedness mode, opening the doors, not opening the doors, staff coming in, not coming in, to a transition plan, because this is going to take place over a rather long period of time, right? So yes. let's talk about that word transition plan and how these ideas can really be adapted to not just urban areas like the one you're in, but maybe to smaller rural health centers. How do they tr- transition their strategic plan? How do they triage their strategic plan? Um, and maybe think about this as a time of partnership with other bigger sites. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. Um, You and I have talked about that off and on over the years. I think there's opportunities right now uh, based upon what's occurred across the country at health centers to explore some kind of collaboration or consolidation or uh, opportunities to leverage each other's strengths. I think it's, 
I've heard more and more over uh, these last few months of real partnerships developing uh, between uh, health centers, a variety of services, transportation modes, and hospitals. And I think that's going to be part of anybody's transition plan. I also think that their strategic plan, and I still will insist on this, there is no strategic plan right now for anybody. And if they say there is, there's not. But there is a transition plan. And the transition plan, and I think you were, you were saying this, the transition plan is becoming the strategic plan. And for instance, the one we're working on now, visions out for 12 to 18 months. Now, it's not the three-year, five-year uh, plans that you and I are used to, uh, Tony, but 12 to 18 months of a transi transitioning plan makes it your strategic plan, but it also really finally makes it a real living document because you know you're going to be making changes to that transition plan based upon new experiences, new opportunities, new issues that arise. I think for smaller um, health centers, this has been very difficult financially, staffing, organizationally. And, you know, I just think that there are opportunities for groups of health centers now to take a look at, if not, if not merging, um, of coming together and forming um, uh, collaborative networks um, where there's, it's mutual support and it's a, it's a group or regional transition plan. Do you know what I mean by that? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and it really is a nice way to bring all of this together. Um, I think that what we've learned today from John, and thank you so much for participating in this, John, is to be flexible, to listen to one another, to think outside of some of the siloed staff positions, because all of these challenges have brought the team together in ways that we never thought possible, we dreamed possible, but never really thought possible working on the opportunity to solve some of these problems as a team. Tremendous opportunity. And mostly thinking about your, your strategic plan as a 12 to 18 month transition plan for the future. Looking for opportunities to stabilize your organization. And do you do that with collaborative networks? All such really important points um, as health centers look to the, the future beyond pandemic, right? I can't think of a better way than to just take those few points and make them salient within your own organization. Um, John, any other words that you would like to add beyond what we've already said? Listening and respecting other people's opinions and not thinking that you have the, you have the answer. If there's a takeaway for me, it's learning how to truly collaborate and, and, um, and listen. And that will be the strength of the organization moving forward. And, and Tony, this has been a lot of fun for me, um, always talking to you, but it's also been cathartic um, on a Thursday, still in the middle of the pandemic. So thanks for inviting me. Oh, thank you so much for joining us, John. Um, and you know, thank you to our listeners, because our listeners are listening to learn, as well as you are listening to your staff to learn. Um, and to learn more about JSI, you can visit our website, um, www.jsi.com um, and there is an expertise for community health centers in there so please take a look uh, keep listening um, and we hope that we can help you through this very tough time thank you john thank you everyone thank you for listening to voices of public health the jsi podcast